2022 was a year to forget for many investors, with a backdrop of sluggish growth at best, rampant inflation and heightened geopolitics. Many indices were down, and in terms of techs, that sector took the punch right on the chin. On the basis that markets price in future opportunities, what's in store for 2023? Welcome to IG Trade in the Markets podcast. I'm Jeremy Naylor. For our first podcast of 2023, we're pleased to be joined by veteran investor from the City of London, Paul Sedgwick, Head of Investment at Frank Investments. Paul, welcome. It's a little late, I guess, to say Happy New Year, but um, it's great to have you on for the first podcast of 2023. Good morning, Jeremy, and Happy New Year to you. And it's a pleasure to be asked, because as you quite rightly say, we've had an interesting 2022 and I'm looking forward to 2023. I'm sure there'll be opportunities and disappointments along the way as well. Absolutely. That's a good way to start the podcast because it sort of balances the outlook. But I want to take the first question into what did we learn in 2022 that we can take through into this new year? Well, I guess the thing you can learn is that stock markets, no matter how long you've been in them, they always deliver slightly what is unexpected. And we may sort of think about that when we talk about 2023 as well. I mean, at the start of the year, there was a general complacency, I would suggest, that people felt that inflation really wasn't a problem. And that includes the central banks, that there may be some modest rising in interest rates, but that wouldn't really impact the global economy too materially. As we saw, the Fed act far more aggressively than everybody anticipated, and growth slowed, and yields yields rose uh, materially. And the growth sectors in particular, and and you mentioned the technology sector, where valuations were high and suddenly find higher interest rates make these sectors less attractive, took the brunt of the sell-off. But you had quite a diversification in performance. And I think this is one of the things, it's always easy to look at the extent of a fall in an index, and that's important. But you can look at the diversification of the performance of the FTSE 100, if you like, and the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. I mean, the FTSE was pretty much flat year on year because it benefited from rising oil prices. It benefited from its exposure to the commodity sectors, which held up reasonably well. And therefore, a lot of the names that are also in there are quite defensive. And you take, you know, Bats and Diageo. So companies that had some sort of pricing power within inflation during periods of inflation did held up reasonably well. If a bottle of wine goes up by 10 or 20p, we'll still probably drink it and buy the ones we like. And if you buy a certain brand of shampoo, then if it goes up by a few p, you'll probably still like to buy it. Um, and therefore, these types of companies have good pricing power in periods of inflation. And they act, their shares actually held up quite well whereas those that don't didn't do quite so well. And as we enter 2023, sentiment is a pretty negative. I mean, the list, I was just saying to you a minute ago, the list of reasons that analysts are citing to be bearish into 2023 are quite long. I mean, you know, economic growth is supposed to be positive, if only by modestly. Pandemic is still a concern. Earnings are expected to shrink year on year in the first uh, for Q4, which we'll start to hear in the next few days. Uh, earnings forecast for this year, which most analysts start every year at about 10% earnings growth year on year. They're sort of anything between 3 to 5%, so they're pretty negative there. Interest rates continue to expect to rise. Inflation is still a problem. You've got the threats of strikes in the UK. So the list, and because of that, cash fund managers are generally overweight cash and exposed to bonds. 
And so sentiment to equities is pretty negative coming into 2023. But there often is where the opportunities lie. It's interesting, isn't it, when we're looking at this um, economic backdrop? And you're right. I mean, there is a bearish sentiment. And certainly that's what we're getting. And that's what we're hearing from a number of different people. Um, at the same time, of course, interest rates, we, where are interest rates going? We've seen rates rise at pretty much a record pace, actually, throughout yeah. uh, 2022. Do you think that much of the heavy lifting has now been done by the central banks or do you think the central banks will be equally as aggressive as we go into these first couple of meetings this year? I think one has to assume that most of the heavy lifting has been done and that you know, forecasts are for US interest rates to peak at around 5.5% and we're just over 4 now. So the question is whether there's a, how much of a lag effect is what happened last year will come through into the economy in the first half of the year. You've already seen longer term interest rates fall quite sharply in the past few months. The shorter end, the yield curve is still very inverted. So short end rates are still quite high. I mean, you can get 4.5% on US treasuries at the moment for a sort of year out, which is not unattractive, I'd have thought, for a risk-free assets. But I think the answer to your question is yes, most of the heavy lifting has been done. I think the Fed will probably want to continue to, certainly in the first month or two, continue its fairly hawkish tone. We've got Jeremy Powell speaking later this week. I think it's actually today. It is to today, yes. We're recording yeah. this uh, before that speech. That's correct. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I think there'll be a bit of interest in to see how hawkish or, or whether there's signs of a little turn of more dovishness. But, you know, I think that all the signs are that inflation is going to continue to fall. I mean, you just saw in, in Europe recently that the number came in below expectations. You've seen you've got it coming out later on this week in the US. So that'll be of interest. Employment remains strong in the US, which obviously is something the Fed is focused on. And probably the reason that they'll maintain their more hawkish tone while that remains the case, because they'll be worried about you know, wage inflation. But you've saw that that actually came in better than expectations in the last uh, last figures last week. So I think it's going to be an interesting year. But as I said, with sentiment being where it is, that often gives you the opportunities going into the year. And what you've got to think about, I think, is is where those opportunities are best likely to be. Hmm. It's interesting talking about this lag effect, isn't it, of, of interest rates? And you're right. I mean, there's, there's. I think monetary policy sometimes takes six months, doesn't it, to to, to sort of take effect. To that end, I think we got an insight into this, didn't we, at the back end of 2022, with the speech by I think it was Jeremy Hunt, the most recent Chancellor of the Exchequer, uh, referencing the Office of Budget Responsibility, saying that the UK is already in recession. I guess for us, it depends on how deep, far and wide that is. But then again, you see, we've had some really interesting data out recently. As of the time of recording, we are awaiting some interesting Christmas data from Sainsbury's, Tesco's, ASOS, Halford's, Marks & Spencer. But last week, look at what we got from Next. Look at what we got from Greg's. Really, know, good, really good reports. Wait, are we in recession? It's, it feels like a very strange recession to me. House prices, yeah, they're on the way down in terms of growth. Year on year, they are still growing. It seems like a bit of a strange recession to me. Uh, you're right. And I mean, I think it's, it's, it's often with you to look at recession, some sectors will do stronger than others. But I guess it's the some sectors are more economically sensitive than others. And you would consider, I mean, Next is a great business, but it will be interesting to see, obviously, the consumer and how the consumer is behaving is very important to understand what is going on in any one particular economy. I mean, you've had ASOS, you mentioned there. I mean, that's had a mixture of things affecting its share price over the past few years, increased 
competition on the internet for people selling clothes, other issues to dealing with it. And so that share price has been hit quite hard. But Sainsbury's food retailers have done quite well recently because of inflation. So it'll be interesting to see people can still need to eat and they may cut back a bit on their basket, but they still have to go and shop. So it'll be interesting to see. And then you'll have the clothing manufacturers and that sort of thing who may be um, slightly more economically sensitive because people wonder whether they need that new shirt or that new pair of trousers. So And you'll want to see what happened over the Christmas period. Obviously, the, the seeing understanding the consumer, and that's where, where, where the US economy's actually held up a little bit better possibly than people anticipated because the consumers held up in the US. Yeah. And they've managed to sort of support the economy during this period of rising interest rates. So, so, so at Frank Investments, what are you, what are you doing? Are you looking favourably upon opportunities in America, or are you still holding cash? I mean, what's what's your what's your situation going into twenty twenty three? What are you doing with clients' money? Okay, so there's a good question there. So obviously, that's the question you're thinking about all the time. I mean, I think there's a couple of things. Yeah, we have been relatively overweight cash, where I would necessarily think that it is is for a balanced portfolio is right. But what we have been able to take advantage of in the last six months is one of the things that higher interest rates does do for the saver is it does provide you with an opportunity to diversify out of equities into other asset classes or out of cash. So you can pick up three and a half, four percent on uh, you have been able to one point over four percent on relatively short dated UK gilt. So you haven't got a great deal of interest rate exposure. And these things are all trading below 100. They're tr- trading anything between 93 and 98, 99, depending what maturity you go for over the next year or two. So these these are suddenly attractive opportunities for you that haven't existed over the last. So we've looked to deploy some, some cash into that. But as for the stock market, I think where, as I mentioned to you, defensive names have to come quite well, the BATS, the Diageos, the Johnson & Johnson's in this world, the Mercks, which have the, these globally defensive companies, which do have some form of pricing power and are less cyclically impacted. So they're less cyclical businesses. So they're less impacted by the, the ups and downs of the global economy. They've done very well. And they have started to underperform at the beginning of this year. And as I pointed out to you, you've now got stocks like tech stocks, which have been really derated quite a long way, uh, now trade much closer to uh, historic averages of the overall market. They have generally have pretty strong balance sheets. And if yields do, if, if analysts are right and interest rates do slow and the global economy does stagnate for a bit and and you see yields falling as you have done, people are going to start to turn to these type of stocks again, I think. So I think there's a danger which we've seen that the trend continues that some of the ones that you've done quite well last year might start to underperform. And I think people will start to look at tech and one or two other areas that, that benefit from lower yields. You've seen also seen consumer discretionary starting to outperform a little bit this year. So I think that's where you've got to think about. With your global hat on, how do you feel about China. I was talking to one metals analyst just a couple of days ago, just inside the new year, and he was looking favorably upon copper. Well, we've just seen copper rise to a six-month high, and he was telling me that this is symptomatic of an opinion that China will start to come out this year and begin to start to demand all these base metals for their various infrastructure projects. We're hearing as well, of course, in the States that there's projects that have been put on hold there for a while, and I guess they'll come online as well. How do you feel about China particularly, and we'll move on to base metals in just a minute because that's an interesting area. Um, Do you think that China is going to start to roar again this year? I don't know about roar. What's another word? There's not quite a roar. <laughs> a whimper would be the wrong word. Something between a whimper and a roar. I don't know. Um, I think that definitely 
they've opened up their, you know, they've reversed that zero COVID policy, basically. And we've seen the impact of that in terms of numbers and the slight concern that it's going to broaden itself out to the wider economy, a global economy. But I think, yes, the answer to your question is quite interesting, isn't it, that? Because you've seen, you've seen copper price. People are wondering, copper and the, the electrification, if that's the right word, of the world, Everybody's saying copper is going to be the, the the commodity that is going to be in demand. It's going to go into pretty much everything. And therefore, demand for copper is just going to grow pretty much irrespective of what the, the Chinese economy is going to do. But one has to, you've seen the fact that uh, China has added stimulus to its economy. So it definitely wants to bring economic growth back into the economy. It's obviously realized of the negative impact that the zero COVID policies had on the economy. So one has got to assume that over the in the coming year that the Chinese economy probably is going to grow, which will benefit the global economy in, in total. So the big question to my mind is you've seen a big sell-off in the oil price. I mean, Brent now, just over $70 a barrel. If people if people start to believe that the Chinese economy is starting to turn around and that supply of oil is still, I was reading a report the other day, supply of oil and, and also the production of oil has really diminished quite materially. And if you do, I think the best way to see where sentiment lies for the Chinese economy is to see where what the oil price does, because I think that if the if people start to sense that the oil, the, the the Chinese economy is going to rally, then you'll get a rally in the oil price, because that'll start to put pressure on inflation again in the global economy. And I mean, it's and it impacts the consumer because it's a tax on the consumer. So I watching copper prices less and more interest in what the oil prices do. Personally, I'd love the oil price to stay roughly where it is. I think that's about the right price for the global economy. Um, and obviously, you want to watch the dollar. The other thing, I mean, I'm moving slightly away from China, but watch the dollar and see what the dollar does. Yeah, you know what? I was going to, I was going to move on to that just to ask you exactly what the uh, outlook is for the dollar and how it impinges on our investment decisions. The dollar remains, uh, obviously, the big currency around the world. Um, and, well, yeah, what difference is it going to make to us this year, do you see a weaker dollar? If so, how do we benefit from that? Well, you see how the dollar and the S&P are almost completely linked. I mean, the correlation last year was very high. Mm -hmm. You saw a, a rise in the dollar and you saw sell-offs in the US equity market. Now, obviously, most of the big international US companies cited the dollar as being a headwind. You had Johnson Johnson earlier on in the year said, you know, that they saw a fall in earnings expectations because of a stronger dollar, but they would look to revise that should the dollar weaken, and the dollar has weakened. So I think the dollar has weakened over the last three months. And I don't know how much analysts have taken that into account for Q4 earnings coming in. So you may that could provide something of a surprise for analysts because they're always a little bit slow to react in my uh, sort of experience. So I think that the dollar will have an impact. Obviously, the reason that the stronger dollar and the weaker pound has helped support the FTSE alongside its exposure. So I think the, the dollar obviously does have a, an impact. And if the dollar does continue to weaken, and it is on a purchasing parity power, it is still overvalued. So that could add a bit of a tailwind to US earnings, and that could give lead to some positive surprises, which could mean that economists and analysts start to get a little bit more bullish for the US economy. And therefore, they could raise their expectations for the S&P 500, which at the moment 
analysts are forecasting a pretty flat year for the S&P 500. So, you know, amongst all the doom and gloom, you can find reasons to be optimistic. I like um, I like ending interviews on a, on a positive, but <laughs> I, I do want just to get your, your snapshot, if I can, as someone that moves money around for clients. What is your overarching thought for the next few months as we go into the meat of 2023? What are you doing in a, in a snapshot? I'm Well, if I'm honest, I, I believe in the I know I always try and answer this question. You always sound like the, a bit of a broken record when you answer this question. But I think that the thing that you have to do, and I think this is what I would say to to savers and not traders and investors. Look at these times. You will have wobbles and there will be disappointments, and but these times always create opportunities. And what you've got to look for is where are those opportunities lie, and you've got to look where, for where sentiment is negative. You've got to look for where analysts have become overly bearish. You've got to look for where people really are not looking and think about where things and what's happened in the past. Is that going to continue in the future? So I think that you want to think about your balance. Make sure you remain balanced so that you don't want to become. You see how high exposure to one sector has impacted performance over the last year. So I think you balance is always good. But overall, I think that you should say when these periods have come, they obviously are uncomfortable. They always are. And they, they're nervous. But if you've got good quality companies, these times bring you opportunities and give you chances to look through and see where those opportunities are. And I said, one of the interesting things, I think, is that you look at the tech sector in particular, has really come back a long way. And if yields continue to fall in the way they have, people will start to refocus on these companies with very strong balance sheets. And, uh, you know, but they are entrenched in the global economy these days. A nice positive end. Paul, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much indeed for joining me. A pleasure. Thanks, Jeremy. Really love to speak to you and uh, catch up soon, I hope. Thanks again. That's Paul Sedgwick, Head of Investment at Frank Investments.